your Bible, I hope you do, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, and you'll find our text printed in the bulletin, Matthew 6, verses 22 through 24. This morning we're continuing our series entitled Lenten Lessons from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, verses 22 to 24. Before we read this passage, let me pray and ask for the Lord's help. Gracious God, you have told us that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. God, would you sanctify us in this week through your word and truth. Speak to us through your word and truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Since this is a shorter passage, I want us to use this as a unison reading. Matthew 6, starting in verse 22. To read the word of the Lord together. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. Do you like tests? Now, as good Presbyterians, I wasn't expecting anyone to actually raise their hand. You know, in worship, we get a little squirrely whenever we think about raising our hands in worship as Presbyterians. But also, the fact of the matter is that most of us, we really don't like tests. Students in school, as we just mentioned in the children's message, tests aren't the favorite part of your week. Even if you're good at them, they still can be a little stressful. Taking your car to the mechanic when the check engine light comes on and, and the fear of that test can be a little unsettling because you know there's probably something wrong and I'm probably going to have to pay a certain amount of money to get tested. Or a medical test at the doctor's office. Even if you know it's necessary, you fear what the results might be. The tests are revealing. At school, they reveal what we know or what we don't know. At the mechanic, they reveal the true issue going on with the engine. And at the doctor's office, they reveal what's going on beneath the surface so that we can get the right treatment. Here in our text, Jesus teaches us something simple. Tests reveal something. In these three short verses, Jesus gives us several spiritual tests. And just like physical tests, they're revealing, uncomfortable tests. Yet they're wonderfully beneficial because they drive us to our only source of hope, the Lord Jesus. In this text, Jesus gives us three tests. The eye test, the heart test, and the love test. And each of these reveals something about our true spiritual nature. So first, the eye test. Jesus begins our passage with these words. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now from the outset, we need to uh, admit that Jesus' words here are a little bit confusing. Jesus is intentionally vague when talking about light and darkness and the eye. And we're left kind of wondering, scratching our heads, what is, what is he talking about? As he often does, Jesus uses a physical image to teach a deeper spiritual truth. Think about our physical eyes for just a moment. What do they do? Well, eyes let light in so that we are able to see. Jesus says the eyes are the lamp of the body. Now, we know that eyes don't really produce light like a lamp does. No, they let light in so that we can see. Without the ability to see, it's quite difficult for us to navigate even the most basic tasks in life. So what's the deeper spiritual connection Jesus is making? Well, just like our bodies has eyes to let light in and to guide our actions, so our heart has eyes. In Psalm 119.18, the psalmist says, Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your word. And Paul picks up on a similar notion in Ephesians 1.18 when he prays about God giving you wisdom by having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope which he has called you. The eyes of our hearts are to be open. Clearly, this personification is meant to teach a similar lesson to what Jesus is teaching here in Matthew 6. We have spiritual eyes that serve as gateways to the Father. What is the spiritual eyes to which Jesus is referring? I think most likely he's talking about our mind. Our mind is the instrument through which truth comes into us and goes to our heart. We hear about the truth of the gospel with our ears and it enters our mind and it goes to the heart. So Jesus gives us a test for our spiritual eyes. Now think about a physical eye test at the eye doctor. You, know, you cover one eye and the doctor asks you to read the lowest line that you can see Clearly, and you're like, B, D, C, 7, maybe? Right? It, it, it's hard. It can be frustrating. But yet, the test is to show whether or not we have clear vision. And if it isn't clear, then the doctor can give you contacts or glasses so that you can see with 20-20 vision. A spiritual eye test is similar. Jesus is telling us to look at the eyes of our heart, our mind, to reveal the clarity of our vision, how we're looking at things in life. What are our thoughts? How we think about things is quite important. Remember the context of our passage. Last week, Barry preached on verses 19 to 21 about treasures in heaven versus treasures on earth. And Jesus' main point in that passage is similar here. It's all about treasures. And so the eye test is this. How do you and I look at our possessions and the things of earth? Do we find ourselves staring at them, so to speak, 
because he's got kids facing or we can't take our focus off of him. Let's focus on adding more and more to our 401k or to our children's college fund or to this or that with an undue obsession and we're seeking to find meaning and purpose in it. These things aren't always bad, but we are not to keep our minds focused on them. The spiritual eye test reveals our heart. What our minds think about more than anything else will show us what's really in our heart. Back in verse 21, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So how is your spiritual vision? Do you see things clearly? Do you look at the material things of this world with a kingdom perspective? Do you remember that the stuff of earth will fade away? Are you consumed with wanting more and more and finding purpose and meaning in the things that you look at? If you've been in the ARP denomination long enough, you're probably familiar with Von Klenken, a denomination sponsored theme. And if you know anything about Von Klenken, you might know that the name has something to do with vision. Mrs. Sally Miller Bright of Chester, South Carolina, submitted a potential name back a long time ago for the concert hall. She said this, I submit a name for our assembly ground. It is Von Klenken. And it has this meaning. Bon, from the Latin bonus, meaning good. Clar, from the Latin clarus, the clear. And can, from the Scotch word, for vision. Bon, clar, can. Good, clear, vision. Now, not physical vision, but spiritual vision. If you've ever been to Bon, Clarkin, you know that there's something about that where God often works through his word in our hearts help give us clear spiritual vision. Now, we don't just need a place like Von Clark and for that to happen. It can happen anywhere. But the point Jesus is making is we want to test our eyes, spiritually speaking, our minds, to see how we're approaching the things that we're after. We need our minds renewed. Paul says in Romans 12, 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your spiritual eye, your mind, reveals your heart. The second test Jesus talks about is the heart test. Jesus says that if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. The darkness he's referring to is spiritual darkness. It's the darkness of the heart. The fact of the matter is that there is a spiritual darkness in every single person when they're born into the world because of Adam's sin. We find teaching about this in John's Gospel. In John 3, 19, John says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Because of our sin, we're drawn to the darkness. A heart that hasn't been transformed by the Holy Spirit is going to always go to the darkness. Not physical darkness, but spiritual darkness. And even converted hearts are still drawn from time to time to the darkness. 
Jesus is saying here in Matthew 6 that the darkness in us is a great place, even if the light in us is darkness. What does that mean? Well, if the light in us is darkness, then that is very dark. How might the light in us be darkened? What happens through our hearts being drawn to something else? We find our hearts caring about earthly treasure more than heavenly treasure. The darkness becomes even darker. And just know there's a component to this that is spiritual warfare and spiritual attack. Friends, the forces of evil would love nothing more than to work in our hearts and draw them to the darkness. And to keep them in the darkness. If we have it, then we can bring it. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul talks about why some people, for them when they hear the gospel, is vain. And he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, In their case, the God of this world, of Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan and his forces are in the process of blinding the minds and hearts of unbelievers. That's the source of darkness. And the scary thing is that there is darkness and people don't even realize it. Spiritual blindness is so bad because often we're blind to the fact that we're evil. Whether that's fully for somebody who's not a believer or even somebody who is a Christian who at times can be blinded to sin and don't even realize that it's there. This means that you could think you were perfectly fine and actually have a spiritually dark heart. You could come to church every week and still have the eyes of your heart darkened. How might you know? Well, Jesus uses the second test, the heart test. Here in Matthew 6, Jesus is saying, not only do you need to test your eyes, your mind, but also test your heart. What is really in our hearts? Testing your heart, your spiritual heart, is revealing. It reveals your love. Looking at your heart will tell you what it is you really love. And that love is not in the positive sense of like, oh, I love my family. No, this is a over-the-top love to care for the things of this world. In other words, Jesus is saying this heart test reveals that there are idols. Idolatry is forbidden in the first commandment when God says, you shall have no other gods before me. Jesus is saying, don't worship anything else before me. Don't love anything in this world more than you love me. What you and I need to realize is that God cares most about the love in our hearts. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven that the greatest commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. God doesn't simply want us to come to church. He doesn't just want us to read our Bibles. He doesn't just want us to serve in the church. Those things are important. But what he really offers is the love in our hearts. He wants us to love Him, and to love Him more than anything else in the world. What does the heart test reveal of Jesus? What's really in your heart? Is it a love of your reputation? 
the love of your possessions, whether they're children or grandchildren or the hope for one day when you can retire and go on a vacation, our heart reveals what we love. And love is all about worship. You see, every single person worships. We were created to worship. It's just a matter of who or what we're going to worship. Is it God? Is it someone or something else? One practical way to test your heart to see what you love is to ask yourself two simple questions. First, what is the one thing in my life that if I lost, my life might not be worth you lost that one thing, would be, would be able to take care of it. And another question to ask yourself is, where does my mind go when I have chosen? Is it imagining what life might be like if things were different? Is it imagining a day on the golf course? These things aren't necessarily bad, but they can show us what we care about more than God. The love of the things of earth distracts us from what matters most. The Lord and following Him. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul tells us an example of what we want to do. He says to Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now we don't know exactly how Demas was in love with the world, but apparently there was something that he cared about more And so he left the missionary work of Paul and went back to Thessalonica. So too, you and I can love the things of the world more than God, and it can prevent us from doing what he's called us to do. The final test in our passage is the love test. If we test our love, that will also reveal something about the state of our spiritual in our faith. Look at me at verse 24 if you have your Bible or your faith. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. If we test our love, the things that we treasure, it reveals that we actually serve the things that we love. This is scary, but it's a necessary teaching. This notion of service is not voluntary assistance. No, it's slavery. Now, as 21st century Americans, when we hear the term slavery, all sorts of bells and whistles go off in our minds in thinking about slavery like in our country. We need to set that aside for a moment and remember Paul here, or Jesus here is talking about spiritual slavery. The fact of the matter is that when you and I love something, we become slaves to it. There's a level of control that we have over it. Romans 6, verse 15, Paul says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. This point seems tough 
They struggle with thinking about being slaves for something this long. But that's what Jesus tells us. If we love money, then we're going to be a slave to money. If we love status, we're going to be a slave to that. If we love our material possessions, then they're going to have control over us. And you may think, no, that doesn't have control over me. I can balance these different possessions. If you're really honest and look, the control that is in that casket is what is controlling you. You can say, no, I can put the bottle down or I can stop scrolling on social media. But sometimes it's a lot harder when you can't. Jesus goes on. He says we can only love and serve one master. We cannot serve both God and money. The word translated money is the Greek word mammon. It's a broad term that literally means trusted things. And it talks about money, but also all the possessions of the earth that we have as a trusted thing. In saying we cannot serve both, Jesus is demanding exclusivity on our part. He wants us to be undivided in our commitment to Him. This is something that many in the church today struggle with. Many and some maybe even here today are tempted to think that we can love God and our reputation, our possessions, that you fill in the blank. And this would work if faith was our hobby. We can have a job and multiple hobbies and we can balance that out. And it would even work if God was our employer. You can have two employers as long as your schedules don't overlap. But you can only serve one master. For a master demands exclusive focus in all of your time. How do you view wealth? Is your faith simply a hobby? Is God your employer where you can balance Him and some other stuff? Or is He really your master and Lord? Friends, we will only have one position, that of master, because he is the Lord. But remember, he is also gentle and lowly in heart. He's not a cruel master. He is incredibly gracious, but he does demand exclusive focus. He has absolute dominion and authority over everything. The Dutch Reformed pastor Abraham Kuyper famously said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not have mastery. Over everything, Christ says, mine. And that means if we're going to be followers of Jesus, then he says, you are mine. Not mine and follow something else. Because of this, as Christians, we have Lord and Master. He doesn't deserve a couple hours every Sunday. No, He deserves all of us, all the time. The bottom line is that we serve what we love. Joshua 24, Joshua challenges the people right before he dies about their focus and commitment to God. And he says this in Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. 
And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We put our love to the test. It reveals what we serve. We cannot serve two masters. Choose this day whom you will serve. It's a strong language, but it drives us to put our hope in God. As we close, remember Jesus gives us three tests that each reveal much about us. Testing our eyes reveals our heart. Testing our heart reveals our love. Testing our love reveals our faith. Examine it. Ask the Holy Spirit to look within you to see where it is you're just faking. Where are you guilty in these areas? Friends, we all fall short. Our spiritual vision is blurry. Our hearts love the things of the earth more than the things of God. And we're slaves to many things other than God. But there is hope in the gospel of Jesus. Earlier I referenced 2 Corinthians 4 where Paul talks about Satan blinding the minds of unbelievers. In verse 6, he offers the solution. He says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God has shown in our hearts light through Jesus. Only by looking to Him can we be fully devoted to God. We can't do it on our own, but Christ did it for us. So rest in what He has done and find strength in Him. Because true believers are united to Christ by faith, which is what our commitment is. We test ourselves with these three tests. We can run to Jesus and find hope and help in Him to live as God calls us to live. Let us pray.